This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA, another Iron Curtain is descending around Russia. What is it like living behind the Iron Curtain? To be very frank, it was like living in the prison. Audra Peplite, Lithuania's ambassador to the U.S. When you cannot say what you think, when you cannot go where where you want, when you have to have double life, something what you say in the public and other things, the values that you have in the family, even celebrating Christmas or Hanukkah or something, it was not official, you couldn't do that. So it, I would say it was really like big prison. Coming up on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP. In Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky made an impassioned plea to the U.S. Congress today for help as Ukraine struggles to repel a withering Russian invasion. He invoked images of Pearl Harbor, talking about how the skies were blackened with death. He reminded us about the horrors of the 9-11 attacks in 2001. And in his remarks, he made an appeal to President Joe Biden. The President Biden, you are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. His speech drew a standing ovation and highlighted the dark clouds of war gathering around Europe. Russia's attack on Ukraine and its associated rhetoric indicates a new Iron Curtain is dropping in Russia right before our eyes. So what's it like to live behind the Iron Curtain? Recently, I spoke with Lithuanian ambassador to the U.S., Audra Plepite, who talks about that and the conflict. Ambassador, would you first of all give us your assessment of what is happening in Ukraine as far as the Russian aggression that we've all been watching goes and give us a sense of your concerns? Yeah, it's uh, the situation around Ukraine is very preoccupying. It's a real crisis. We've been following that already for months. You know that. And um, such unprecedented Russian military buildup along the Ukrainian border. It's really haven't been, no, hasn't happened before that. So for years. So it's really preoccupying and the, everyone in the region is following that very close and we are very happy as well and, and, and thankful to the United States and other allies that also are together and united on this issue. Let's go a little deeper and give us a sense 
for the folks here in the U.S. who don't follow these issues every day or regularly, just how important this is, because Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, Poland, um, a number of countries that are close to Russia have very serious concerns uh, as a result of the aggression that's taking place uh, against Ukraine, that it might take place against them. So uh, give us a sense of why this is so important for for your country and your neighbors. So maybe I have to come go back a bit some years ago as well, you, you know very well, and remembering the 2008, at least, we could speak about some more years ago, but 2008 when uh, there was a Georgian war and, and Russia took control of some uh, uh, Georgian lands as well. So then 2014, unexpectedly they took Crimea and uh, conflicts in Donbass and Luhansk regions as well. And, and, and this conflict is still going on. Somehow now everybody doesn't speak about that, speaks about now military buildup. But what we have, we still have in South Ossetia, Abkhazia, not belonging to Georgia, taking in the borderization. Crimea is completely controlled by Russia as well, annexed and, and that. And we have all allies strong standing behind that. But now with this military build up, Russia took as well, not only the military, which is already now completely different than it's from 2008. It's modernized, mobile. It's it's very well functioning as we, we see now during this month as well. And it took this military, but also demands for their allies and the NATO to or not to have Ukraine to the NATO or to withdraw NATO forces from the territories which were from 1997. So that is, they're still demanding mm -hmm. and, and trying our sense. So we are very much concerned why it stopped because it didn't stop in Georgia. It didn't stop in Crimea and Donbass. And now we witness more demands and that's really preoccupying and maybe you would ask or not but it's not only what it's we see the new thing here in this crisis it's not built up only on the russian side on the ukrainian border there is a precedental number of russian troops in belarus yes not from ukraine which is hasn't been during any exercises they didn't have such a big number of troops there and yeah. if we that's maybe they're targeting Ukraine now from that. They realize how fast they can move those troops to Belarus. Yeah. So it's a real game changer. And we don't know how it would be in the future. I mean, that's also from the Lithuanians. Uh, Belarus border is 50 kilometers or miles from, from, from Vilnius, yes. from Lithuanian capital. So for us, it's a big, big concern as well. And that's a part of what I wanted to ask you about that border between um, Belarus and Kaliningrad. There is a little place called the Suvalki Gap, and there aren't many people in the West that know what that is, but you do. And I wouldn't. I wonder if you would just tell us why the Suvalki Gap is so important right now, and why we should be keeping an eye on that too. Okay, great question, and it's really for us. It's a big, big preoccupation. If one looks to the map, you could see that the three Baltic states, 
are united, they're connected with the rest of Europe and the rest of other ally, NATO allies through Poland, and that is land Lithuanian Polish border, which is about 60, 90 kilometers or 60 miles long. And Kaliningrad region, which is on the west side of that uh, Suwalki corridor, is the most militarized region in Europe. They have Iskander missiles, tanks, you name it. It's, it's really that. Mm -hmm. And now when we see that Belarus practically became like a platform for Russian military, because they can move troops in 10,000 in a week, the Belarus government, the president, couldn't say anything. He is on the contrary, speaking about common Belarus-Russian army, they would be doing so. So this Suwalki gap can be very fragile. And if some uh, could be military taking very easily, mm -hmm. it's of course have Article 5, as an, which protects us very much. We have NATO troops in, in, in Lithuania, US troops, but that's why we are so much preoccupied and to have the real deterrence. Mm -hmm. So tell us what would happen if Russia and Belarus were to seize control of the Suvalki corridor, the Suvalki gap? So now if the Baltic states are more like peninsula, which is connected with, uh, with Poland, or that means Europe and NATO through this corridor, so we would become completely isolated or island. And if only accessible from the Baltic Sea, which can also be tricky if some conflict. So for us, that's why we are so much so protecting and taking care of, of, of that quality. And, and, and that would mean that uh, you would be isolated and possibly subject to Russian aggression um, without the land connection to the rest of NATO. There are there are other ways to reach you through the air and through the sea, but that land corridor is very important. And so thank you for explaining that to us. Now, today, um, the aggression continues. Russia continues with this talk about, yeah, we're interested in diplomacy. Yes, we're reducing troops. But we don't. But at the same time, they kick the U.S. deputy ambassador out. And we see now that there are thousands more troops there uh, in Ukraine or on the border um, so what message does this send to you and the rest of Lithuania? You correctly said everything. I mean, we're listening to the messages, what they say. They were they a couple of days ago they spoke about the escalation, destroying the troops as well. But what we do as well, we look to the facts and deeds on the ground. And we don't see the, any change, or as you mentioned as well, even some escalating things like uh bombing or some attacks from Luhansk and Donetsk to Ukrainian soul. And we saw yesterday the, the kindergarten was bombed, fortunately, without any injuries, uh, severe injuries or something. So provocations are going on. So we are following very, very closely the situation and seeing, you know, what they mentioned. We listen to the messages and we are diplomats. So we have to listen as well. But we are looking as well on the ground. What is the real situation? Is mm -hmm. there? But the, the, the deeds follows the words as well. And yes. unfortunately, we don't see by until now. Ambassador, has Russia made any threats to Lithuania 
uh, overt threats or any threats at all to Lithuania in recent times that uh, we should be paying attention to? It's very difficult to say what how you describe threats or something like that and where it comes, whether it comes from the state TV or some journalist clothes, some speculations, how Swalky Gap can be taken over very easily or, or, or official channels as well. So that's so that's why it would be very difficult. But we hear it as well. We saw yesterday message from uh, from Russian uh, saying that they're not satisfied with the U.S. or the Western reply to their security concerns, and they will act militarily. It's one of the cases, or uh, was some uh, Lukashenko's as well uh, declarations. How easily he can. Uh, react to Lithuania to serve. So there's, you know, there's so many things. And what I think where we have to be very careful as well, there's lots of disinformation, propaganda. So we have to be very careful in that, in assessing all the messages coming as well. And I mentioned this one thing is verbal messages as well and declarations. Another thing is also situation on the ground. One of the things that I've heard is that this conflict with Ukraine as big as it is, and as important as it is, actually has very little to do with Ukraine. It's more about NATO. It's more about trying to, uh, Russia trying to enforce its will on NATO. I mean, there's already the big uh, gas crisis in Europe. You know, that's probably bigger than this. Uh, You know, the big uh, um, energy crisis in, in, in Europe that Russia is fomenting. And then, you know, Russia's also involved in other in, in, in other conflicts, you know, uh, overseas, you know, in Africa, in other countries. And so it looks as though what they're trying to do is overwhelm democratic countries with problems to distract them from what their real mission is. I may be wrong about that, but what's your thought about what Russia's overall strategic plan is? Most probably, it's very difficult to say what we can just speculate what is in the Putin's mind or, or real Russians, but uh, what what we can see, what they demand and something, yes, they're trying to, to extend the influence, the power, to demonstrate power and to be what we see now, the target is Ukraine, to see what they, from their demands and messages, they don't want Ukraine to be in the mouth of NATO. And we very strongly say that every country has the right to decide their future and the, what they want to do. There were demands as well to withdraw NATO troops from the eastern flank or something, but we, we know that NATO is strong. That's why because united and we are defending each other and, and, and working together. So there are all the demands which ground so they're trying to influence. And yes, you mentioned as well, we see them more and more involved in Africa or in Syria, Middle East, and worldwide. So, but that is so, and, and that's why I would say not what the the real demands, but I think it's the most important is that we, the allies, should be very united in countering all these challenges coming and messages coming from 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 Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is so important. The U.S. lead, the President Biden's lead was so tough and so clear on messaging, counter-messaging Russian now messages that we have to really stick to each other, to our principles, to our values, whether it would be Ukraine, Europe, or even further 
mm-hmm. on the region. So I think here, I think I would make an emphasis and, 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 and underline the importance of that. And then I think we'll, we can counter a Russian yeah. aggression. You've been engaging with your U.S. counterparts since you've been here. You haven't been here very long, but um, welcome. And uh, I hope that things are going okay in terms of uh, your work here. But uh, what have you been hearing from your your U.S. counterparts uh, here uh, about um, U.S. plans uh, moving forward in in dealing with Russia, this aggression, the NATO plans, and, uh, of course, the, the U.S. relationship with Lithuania and Lithuania's role in all of this? Yeah, first of all, thank you for welcoming. Yes, indeed, I'm I'm quite newcomer. I arrived in the, in the beginning of summer or the end of May here. But I would say that this half a year, a bit more than half a year, was the most busiest for me uh, a, a period of my uh, diplomatic career. We do have excellent relations with the U.S. It hasn't been probably the most active period for Lithuanian U.S. relations, and uh, we do we we get support from uh, from the U.S. on 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 many issues. And here, as I mentioned already, we are very grateful for the strong U.S. leadership and support on this in this crisis situation. It was really um, the first messages, and that's from the U.S. And I think that it that it should be and should go. And of course, we are working here in in D.C., also in Brussels, in other capitals, to ensure first of to ensure the help and assistance to Ukraine. Also, with the U.S. help and assistance, we we, we provided some weapons to to defend itself to Ukraine. We are grateful for the U.S. Uh, decision to strengthen uh, eastern flank of NATO, which I think is very, very important message to Russia, and it's a very good deterrence, the best deterrence as well in our situation. We are grateful for the U.S. having troops battalion in Lithuania. It's on the rotational basis, but it's it's it helps us good sense of security. I visited troops myself in summer. The young, but they're so professional, so determined, dedicated young people. They know where they are. They know that they are on the eastern borders of NATO and they are ready to act or to take part with us. So that, that's good. And especially now when we spoke about Belarus and this new, new situation, when we could say that Russia-NATO border now moved already from uh, to Lithuanian Belarus or Polish Belarus border. So that's why to have US troops in Lithuania or in Poland, it's it's essential and it's very good. So and we are just talking as well how to increase and, and, and to strengthen this presence as well in our region. Okay. Moving forward, um, we know what's happening. We know what we see. We know what's on the ground in in, in Ukraine and around Ukraine. We know what's happening in the Black Sea. You've explained the Belarus issue and, you know, what's going on along the Suvalki Gap. But there are many things that are taking place in the background that we don't know about, that we aren't familiar with, uh, you know, that could be problematic for you and your Baltic neighbors and the rest of NATO, even the rest of Europe. Um, You know, Russia does some other things aside from uh, engaging in uh, military activity. They engage in cyber attacks. We understand they have information warfare expertise and 
assassinations. I mean, I've spoken to people who uh, are concerned about that as well. So the question I would ask you is, what's your advice for us in America when we look at Russia, when we hear what Russia says, the Kremlin, you know, we don't have a problem with Russian people because Russian people are great, just like everybody else. It's the leadership there that it's it's really hard to to figure out what they're up to. So what's your advice, what's your message for Americans watching the situation and trying to make sense of it all? Be vigilant and think twice what you hear. Look to the deeds, look to the words and the situation, because you mentioned very rightly, it's not the military action is already to peak of of all actions. Before goes all the hybrid warfare propaganda, disinformation, misinformation, uh, cyber attacks and everything. So we have to be really, when we get information, be critical and think whether it's right or not and whether it reflects the facts and they're real and where it can go. Sometimes this information is very, in many cases, see when it comes from those sources and it's real, but it might be some hidden messages as well, which after that could be, how to say, uh, developed into unrealistic, untrue stories. And so yes. that's what we have. I think we have to all of our democratic societies, we were so much fighting for the freedom of speech during the last decades or 100 years, something. So for us, it's very difficult to believe that somebody can misuse this sacred right and freedom of speech for bad purposes. Unfortunately, sometimes that's true. Sometimes some people, they participate not knowing that. So we have to be critical. And I think we have to learn ourselves how to, 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 to evaluate new information. We have to teach our children as well, not to be taken by this information or propaganda. Mm. That's great. That's great advice. Uh, And I have to say, it's not advice that is new to us, or to me at least. I've heard this many times, and you're actually confirming this today in the face of the situation that you and your neighbors in Ukraine are facing. It's very good advice again. Is there anything that you'd like to add that I haven't asked about that you think is important? I just wanted to thank you for your interest as well. More people know about the situation, about uh, what we live and uh, how it's in our region, the better it is. And I also wanted to say as well that the U.S. leadership was essential, was essential during the, after Second World War, when we have that Cold War and the U.S. was in the lead when they stand up against Soviet Union. And we are the winners of this situation because U.S. then stand for us. Living behind the Iron Curtain, we really felt occupied and we almost nearly lost hope, or some of us, that the U.S. stand kept us alive and kept our hope or something. So now we have to fight as well together. Now we had to be together with the U.S. and fight for other people as well who are still maybe not in so good position as us. So, and then democracy and freedom would prevail. Madam Ambassador, you just made me think about a very quick question that I should have asked before, but now let me just ask it briefly. What was it like living behind the Iron Curtain? To be very frank, it was like living in the prison. 
when you cannot say what you think, when you cannot go where, where you want, when you have to have double life, something what you say in the public and other things, the values that you have in the family, even celebrating Christmas or Hanukkah or something, it was not official, you couldn't do that. So it's, I would say it was really like big prison. Wow. And that was, so that's why I think we are so much fighting and uh, for others as well, not only for ourselves, because we know how it's to live when you are prevailed by the basic human rights and freedoms. That is very, very profound. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Thank Madam you. Ambassador, for taking time to talk to us today. Thank you very much. All the best. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up in our next episode. Well, I feel that uh, this is a catastrophe for both Ukraine and Russia. The view of the war from inside Russia. That was also my feeling before, uh, and that was the reason for me to think that uh, this kind of uh, open conflict between Ukraine and Russia uh, would be impossible. So I, I did not believe that it would happen uh, until it did. Sergei Utkin is head of strategic assessments at the Institute of World Economy and International Relations at the Russian Academy of Sciences. He has some keen insights about the war and its consequences. That's coming up on the next episode of Target USA. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. You can reach me at jgreen at wtop.com. The letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more national security news, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can sign up at WTOP.com slash email. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm Martin Cove, Sensei John Kreese from Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid Trilogy. And who's kicking it with the Coves this week, Rach? We have Jacob Bertrand, who plays Hawk from Cobra Kai. I'm so excited. You know, my dad's a doctor, so he has to, like, wear the scrubs and the special hat and all that crap. And so when he found out that I was getting a mohawk, he was like, dude, oh, I'm so jealous. I wish I could have a mohawk at my job. Oh, God, you're so lucky. Don't miss out. Listen to and follow Kicking It With The Coves, now at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podcast One. Now. Stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.